0: Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, I was joined by Kyle, CEO and co founder of Vision. Vision supports digital transformation in supply chain and logistics by providing web services and data streams that power door to door freight visibility solutions. And it was really exciting to find out all about the company and what they're doing to drive change in the industry. We talked about API versus EDI, digitization, collaboration, scalability, all of the key trends right now. So it was really relevant and insightful episode. I hope you enjoyed it. But remember that if you missed it, you can catch up over on letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast or any other platform where you subscribe to the show. It was episode 222. puts industrial material flow on autopilot by leveraging existing enterprise data throughputs ai software predicts demand reorients production capacity reassigns warehouse space and reorders materials optimally more than 5 times faster than leading contemporary solutions so businesses minimize overpromising and underdelivering Sign up for a free demo to see Throughput in action. Visit throughput.ai. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. I cannot believe we are at the beginning of October and there's so many exciting things that are happening. Have you checked out our new live shows about sustainability, supply chain technology, Make sure that you are following the Let's Talk Supply Chain social media pages so that you don't miss out on any of those. Today, I'm excited to welcome a fashion designer, sustainable design strategist, and responsible supply chain consultant all rolled into one to our Woman in Supply Chain series. Can you guess who it is? Well, I'll let you know after the question of the week. So the question that we asked the community was, which three words would you use to describe yourself? And it was really interesting because Philip actually commented and says that he uses these three words on his resume, which is really, really true when you're looking at supply chain talent. Take a look at the words that they are using. When you are looking to find a new job, use those words on your resume and in your LinkedIn profiles, because that's where people are going to look at you. Rhonda says, curious, heartfelt, and human. Nicole, authentic, optimistic, determined. Philip, optimistic, open-minded, creative. Erica, unique, exuberant, and driven. Dr. Mudasir. Ahmed says three is a way short a limit to describe complex phenomenon. I love it. Mahipat says honest, hardworking and goal oriented. Heidi says driven, persistent, creative. Carly says determined, compassionate, constructive. And Musalia says, work in progress. Well, thank you so much to everybody who came out for our question of the week and commented. It was great to hear from you. And I think we can learn a lot by the words that we use to describe ourselves. But also, we can take a look at the words that others use so that we can take a look at what words best describe us as well. And now back to today's podcast and the multi-talented woman in supply chain I have with me today is Tara St. James. Tara has spent the last 20 years designing and producing collections for both men and women, and she's overseen development, production, and design procedures at factories across the globe. This extensive experience in product development, sourcing, textile research, and development led her to dive deeper into sustainability and supply chain, and she's never looked back. Tara established her own sustainable women's wear brand in 2009, successfully running it for over 11 years, and went on to found Resourced, a consultancy and education platform looking to demystify the world of sustainable fashion and textile sourcing. She's an instructor at the Fashion Institute of Technology, as well as holding leadership roles at a sustainable fashion brand and fashion collaboration platform. Today, Tara will be talking to us about her career so far, her love for fashion, her dedication to sustainability and shaping the future of ethical fashion, and she'll be sharing her experiences as a woman in the industry and her words of advice for all of those women following in her footsteps. So welcome to the show, Tara. Thank you, Sarah. I'm really happy to be here. I am super excited to have you here because your career and your expertise overlaps with some areas that I'm really interested in personally. And to be able to have a conversation about fashion that pulls in sustainability, supply chain, ethics, innovation, you know, it feels like a very important and on-trend, if you like, conversation right now. So let's dive into the conversation. As I mentioned in the intro, you have a degree in fashion design. It's funny because so often on the show, I interview guests whose degree or educational background is quite different to where they ended up. But your journey has been very clear. So you always wanted to be in fashion. Is that something that sort of came from when you were a little little kid?
1: Yes, it, it definitely did. I, I deviated a very, uh, for a very short time in high school, but I drew my okay. first collection when I think I was five years old. Uh, I still have, I, I wish I could show you, I'm, I'm not at home at the moment, but I, I still have that framed, um, I drew it on an old piece of fabric, and it's, it's very funny because it still looks like a lot of the collections I designed to this day. Um, in high school, I actually decided I wanted to go into politics for a brief time, and then when it came to, to choosing college, I, I went back to fashion design. Um, my degree, the only thing that is a little bit different is my degree is in menswear. So I studied tailored menswear, uh, in school, which I now attribute to my love for durable clothing and sustainability, um, because of the core values that are instilled in, in really designing timeless pieces that are, you know, menswear. Um, but other than that, I I really stuck the path and stayed in the fashion industry, which I'm always grateful for.
0: And it's super competitive, is it not? I mean, we just had New York Fashion Week. Were you? I don't know if you were a part of that. I've seen a little bit here and there. But it's a super competitive industry.
1: It's a super competitive industry, and I don't think that it's necessarily well represented in the media. I think what what the average person sees and thinks of the fashion industry is that it's all glamour and parties and fashion shows. And really, that's only maybe maybe 10% of the job if you're, if you're lucky and the rest is supply chain management and sales and production issues and product development and, and all the things that I love, but are really not very well represented when you're, when you're talking to the press or when you're showing the collection or certainly not on television shows that are trying to represent the fashion industry. Um, So I you know, that's, that's why I'm so actually grateful to have this conversation with you and, and really grateful that there's now more and more a focus on supply chain and manufacturing and, and the hands that are making the clothes and not just the people that are designing them.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And I love the fact that while you were talking about the fashion industry, you talked about supply chain because it's such a huge part and a huge piece of fashion. And you have worked and held some amazing positions, right? Creative director, fashion director. At what point did you start to become more interested in the sustainability side of fashion? Because that's another big part of fashion, right? We talk about supply chain, but sustainability is another one. And When did that start standing out to you as an issue the industry needs to address, and why was it something that you wanted to be a part of?
1: Yeah, so I guess I attribute that to, there were two kind of major aha moments in my career. Uh, The first, with regards to sustainability, was back in around 2004. I was working, uh, previous to starting my own brand. Uh, I, I was working for another company and I, we, our supply chain was entirely in uh, India and, and China. And so I would travel quite regularly to work directly with the factories to develop the, the new collections and source materials. And on one particular trip, I found uh, organic cotton from one of my suppliers on a, a swatch card. And, and so went back to the hotel room that night and um, started researching the differences between organic cotton and what is now known as conventional cotton uh, and and. Can I can I say a slightly bad word? Uh, it was it was really my oh shit moment. Okay,
0: <laughs> that's how I, yeah, that's how I that's yeah.
1: how I, I frame it is, um, and, and I think it's, it was really important to have it because I realized either I leave the industry altogether and stop uh, polluting unknowingly as I had been doing, or I try to make change. And so th- that was the the first pivot. Uh, towards sustainability. And so with that brand, I started converting all of the materials over to more environmentally friendly materials, or at least ones that we thought were more environmentally friendly. So now the education and the information has become much more prevalent and much more easy to access. Back then it was very difficult. um, And so I had very little knowledge and, and all the all the education that I had to gain was uh, through internet and speaking to people, and then ultimately uh, education through through FIT and other sources. But it, it took a long time, um, and then the second. Aha moment was when I started my brand, Study New York, back in 2009. I decided I wanted to manufacture it in New York City in the garment district here. Awesome. So, which would be the first time that I develop anything locally because prior to that, even though I'd been working in the industry, I guess, 10, 10 years, almost 10 years at that point, um, everything I had done had been overseas. And that was, you know, and I had a great experience producing with very large factories and some smaller ones. Uh, all over the world, primarily in Asia, India, but also in Brazil, um, and so I really was was learning a lot about global supply chain, but very little about local supply chain. And oh, so right. I decided I wanted to produce the brand uh, locally using uh, craftspeople in the in the garment district in New York City, uh, not material manufacturers, unfortunately, because we we really don't produce any any textiles. Uh, right. in in New York City proper um, for, for many reasons but we do manufacture some amazing clothing and so I started learning about how to manage a supply chain very different from from overseas manufacturing and so I, I all of a sudden had to be very integrated into the whole process I had to source all the fabric myself source all the trims uh, get the the product developed you know the pattern, literally schlep things from Brooklyn to to the garment district on the subway. and so wow. I, it was a, a huge learning process. Um, and so those were, those were really the two the two moments um, in my career that that pushed me towards sustainability, that, then ultimately pushed me towards a more ethical supply chain um, and, and having a more direct face to face with the people who were making the clothes that I was selling. Um, yeah. because that wasn't always the case prior. I'd have direct contact with maybe the merchandisers and the owners of the factories, and we'd walk through the factories, but we wouldn't have these day-to-day conversations with the with the sewers or the pattern makers. And so this, right. was, this was quite different.
0: Right, and it makes it so holistic, right? Because you get to have a touch point at every point of your supply chain. And you kind of did what a lot of companies are looking to do right now because the cost of ocean freight has like gone up a lot you know raw materials are you know not being produced fast enough or moved fast enough and they're looking at local supply chains versus global supply chains and so you did that before everybody else but i think what i love the most about what you were just talking about is that you put your money where your mouth is right you took action a lot of times when we talk about sustainability or sustainable supply chains it's all talk and no action. And so I love the fact that you did that. You mentioned that, you know, you established your own sustainable women's wear brand called Study New York. But then after you did that, you you established resourced as well um, so that you can consult with and educate others and drive change, right? Yep. Not just through your own brand, but also through other brands as well. And I think those experiences also led you to your role at AT, which is as an amazing, amazing commitment. So talk us through that journey. What does that look yeah. like? You know, and, and tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so I'll fill in a little bit of a blank there too. So uh, with study, I decided, so one of the one of the pieces of advice that I give to students now and then to clients when I'm consulting with them is that you can't, sustainability is not a series of checkboxes. So you can't do everything. Um, you're going to learn yeah. about everything. You're going to see a lot of different solutions and options, and they're going to be very shiny and, and desirable, but no brand can do all of them. And in some cases, they, they conflict with one another. And you know, I'm not going to go too deeply into that. But when I started study, I decided, and I didn't have this full holistic understanding, it took me a long time. Um, to come to this. But when I started study, I, I decided uh, the brand would be built on three core tenants. And that was uh, responsibly sourced materials. So either uh, deadstock textiles, um, you know, leftover recycled materials or certified organic uh, zero waste patterns. So I, I wanted no waste in my supply chain, um, not awesome. for everything, but the, the, the brand itself was a zero, had a zero waste approach to, to design yeah. and so some of the patterns were zero waste and others we would collect the waste and reuse it and then local manufacturing, local transparent manufacturing. so I was able to implement those three tenants throughout the entire the entirety of the brand. Um, ultimately that also overlapped with my work at the Brooklyn Fashion and Design Accelerator which was an, a, an initiative by Pratt Institute where I was the sustainability, Uh, Mentor, and we ran a small production facility, and so that really gave me hands-on understanding of what it is to to manufacture more ethically and and work directly with designers. And so it was sort of a natural progression to start consulting uh, with these smaller designers, who now I had a good understanding of what they were. Uh, missing in their their right. level of understanding and what the the best approach was and so we created strategy together and we road roadmap uh, their sustainability strategy and and help them understand but also through the lens of sourcing and responsible manufacturing yeah um, so, so I've been due- yes it really is and I I because and I, I should clarify because I cho- because the landscape of sustainability is so vast and broad yeah. but I chose to only really um uh, approach three specific strategies myself with my own brand. It meant that there was this whole vast world of other strategies that I wasn't touching on, but I was very interested in. And so, um, being a mentor at the accelerator and then ultimately becoming a, um, a consultant allowed me to explore those other strategies without doing them myself in my brand. Right. And so that to me is the, is the positive side of it because I, it kept me engaged. It kept me learning. I was always, uh, trying to understand what the next approach or uh, ease of use was for some of the strategies because they were all very challenging and now we have technology to help build in on some of them but at the time you know it was it was very much the wild wild west of, of implementing change in the fashion industry and so all of that really culminated in Um, my new role as VP of Supply Chain and Sustainability at Another Tomorrow, which is a, as you probably know, a new-ish luxury brand um, that has been in the works for a few years, but officially launched uh, right at the beginning of 2020. Um, So you can imagine that was quite challenging. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, wow. But but, uh, with this very, very clear uh, strategy of transparent supply chain Uh, And not only doing no harm, but doing more good. And so the brand has accelerated quite quickly, even previous to me joining the team, um, understanding basically their sourcing all the way back to the fiber level, uh, which means the farms where fiber is is being grown um, for every product. And so there's a traceability journey or a provenance journey on every product that the customers can see via QR code, which is wonderful. And so this is sort of getting back to mentioning technology. You know, before, five years ago, we didn't have those QR codes that were available to trace your journey on yep. on, on, on the website or on the product. We, we had to tell the story on online or on a hang tag, and it's a, just much more clunky. And so... Now, there is this beautiful culmination of things coming together, understanding of, um, of supply chain a little bit more, customers de- demanding and wanting to, to know where and how their clothes are made. And of course, I attribute that a lot to the fashion revolution movement um, that, that originated after Rana Plaza. And then um, with Another Tomorrow specifically, it's, uh, it's luxury clothing that is extremely well made. Um, And made for durability and made to last a really long time, both through its styling and design, but also through its materials and manufacturing. And so the goal is to keep this product in circulation for a long time and not have to, you know, recycle it.
0: Well, and you bring up so many amazing points in what you just talked about. And so I'm going to touch on a couple of things. So I recently just launched a LinkedIn learning course, which is the fundamentals of sustainable supply chain. And one of the things that I talk about in that course is that you really need to take a look and see what developmental goals resonates with you and your brand. Because like you said, you can't do everything or you can't start off doing everything. And you've got to pick a couple of lanes to really be able to thrive and create the culture that you want around your sustainability plan. And then the other thing is, is we just launched a show with Topple, um, it literally just aired a couple of weeks ago. And they're going to be doing a monthly show about sustainability and blockchain. And they're talking about how they're working with coffee farmers And just like you're talking about fiber farmers and using the blockchain to really be able to bring everybody together. So it's an exciting new concept where there's technology, like you said, technology partners that are coming out and talking about it and talking about the technology behind it and how we can connect everybody. And so it's awesome to hear that you're already doing that and you're really, really being intentional about it. And then I think the other thing to think about, too, is also your packaging. So I don't know what you're doing from a packaging standpoint, but my good friend, Sarah Scudder, she talks about sustainability packaging all the time. And, um, you know, she talks about having something on the packaging to allow people to understand how to recycle that packaging or reuse that packaging. And I'm sure with you guys being so intentional about that, I'm sure you've already thought about the packaging and you're already doing that. Packaging is
1: actually, so there's so many things I want to I wanna talk to you here. Um, and I, I know the conversation can go on for a really long time, so I'll try to be concise. But packaging, I think, is generally um, the, what I see as a low-hanging fruit for brands who want to start the, on their sustainability story. And it's obviously a much bigger issue than that. Um, right. But it is the first touchpoint that most yes. customers have with the product especially now with D2C brands. And Another Tomorrow is primarily a D2C brand, although we just opened our first store. Um, in the West Village in, in New York. So so you can actually see in yes. that product, which is fantastic. Yeah. But yeah. the but the packaging ultimately is is really what most customers see, whether they're they're carrying it out of the store or or they're they're ordering their product online. Um, but it so it allows for a lot of opportunity to educate the customer, but also to use more responsible materials. However, now that circularity is becoming more and more of a of a conversation and that requires you know reverse logistics and and all kinds yes. of other complexities in in mm-hmm. other supply chains um packaging is also part of that story and so it's a packaging system that we're looking for rather than just the materials of the packaging themselves so how can you reuse your packaging how yes. can you um how can you really make packaging more durable so that it does get reused yes. so i i'd look to brands like Four days, for example, that have this circular business model that are using packaging that is is meant to be reused over and over again. Um, so, so that's really inspiring. But also, it's it's kind of the first place that I usually address with brands because um, it's not as personal as the product itself.
0: Yes. Right? So it's it's yeah. an easy
1: conversation starter, um, but it's an important one. So there's yeah. that. The other thing that I want to touch on is um, is technology because I think tech I'm. Personally, a, a lot for mo- for the most part, but I think technology is really important. Um, I think a certain level of technology is is supremely important, but what's even more important, in particular for for us in Another Tomorrow, but has always been in my career, is um, is is the personal relationships that you have with your supply chain, and there, mm-hmm. there's really nothing that can uh, replace that from a technology standpoint. Sure. And one of the things that I've noticed uh, within the industry and where there's huge strides in in, in supply chain and, and shifts in, in sustainability is with the brands who have a either embedded relationship with their with their supply chain, so they either own part of it or they have very close relationships, um, or they're able to to gain that. And, and so one, if I can give an example of another brand that I really respect is a footwear brand called Mazzolo, uh, who own part of their supply chain and are very, very cautious about living wage uh, all across their supply chain and educating about living wage um, and the people who are working. But I've noticed that most of the industry historically has always looked to their supply chain as vendors or as right. uh, key players, stakeholders perhaps but not necessarily collaborators or partners right. and I think one of the things that I think is so beautiful about Another Tomorrow and about all these other brands that are doing great work is that they look to their they realize that they wouldn't have product if it wasn't for the supply chain players all of yeah. them you know yeah. from the farmers who raise the sheep who have our our wool our traceable wool or our organic cart- cotton to the spinners and the dyers and the weavers, um, all of them, like they all ca- play a key role and there's so much learning. There's so much historical embedded learning in, in all of those uh, players. And and the, the only way to gain that is by talking to them, having a conversation, mm-hmm. bringing them into the system so that they can help contribute to Uh, reduction in inefficiencies and waste or uh, new strategies that maybe the brand hasn't thought of because they're not on the ground every day in the factory, you know. And so this is some learning that I had um, when I was at the accelerator and we were running a factory because we had uh, great sample makers there and pattern makers who were doing zero waste Pattern development uh, and, and then brands that would just walk in and, and sit with us or, or come and take videos um, and share that with their networks. And, you know, social media is obviously uh, yeah. greatly changing this because you can now bring a, a phone into a factory as long as, you know, you ask permission first, um, yep. you can now bring a phone into a factory and share your story with your customer base. Um, but then bring it even one step further and have that conversation with the factory. So everybody is making these decisions together, rather than it being this very linear source of information that goes from one person, usually the designer, to the the tech, the technical designer, to production manager, then back to the to the factory. Uh, without this sort of feedback loop, you know, and that's what's right. really important
0: in moving moving the needle on
1: sustainability in industry.
0: Absolutely. And I don't know, this conversation just gets me so excited because I also feel like your title is VP of Supply Chain. But you're really into sustainability and making sure that the supply chain is sustainable. And I, there's so much that we can learn from you. But I just love the fact that we're talking about this. And your title is VP of Supply Chain. And I know, you know, we I, I talked about this with um, Lisa morales Hellebo on our last episode of Woman in Supply Chain. Because you mentioned circular economy and circular su- uh, supply chains and circular um, circular economy yeah. and buying second hand creating smaller batch of clothing lines that's something that I touched on with Lisa mm-hmm. but I also feel like the industry has created consumers who are addicted to fast fashion Yep. So how do we change the mindset around that? Or can we change the mindset? Is the mindset changing? What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, this is, this is such a tough question for me. And I, this is what keeps me up at night, if I'm being totally yeah. honest. Because mm-hmm. I, um, I, do, I just don't know. Uh, you know, fast fashion isn't brand new. I grew up with a version of fast fashion in, in Montreal in Canada. We had, you know, made locally, but still very cheap. Responsive to trends, and then it just ballooned out in the in the '90s and 2000s, and um, became the the mega industry that it is now. And I see it on social media, and I see people's responses, um, but I also see the flip side of people who are trying to get school clothes for an entire family of four, and how do you do that on a limited budget? And it's it's very very I think difficult to ask. An entire community uh, or entire world of people to buy responsibly made clothes when maybe they themselves are not earning a living wage you know and so it's a a much bigger picture ultimately I think that government has to step in I think there needs to be policy I'm starting to see some extended producer responsibility laws in Europe Um, of course America is a little bit behind uh, Europe when it comes to policy shift, but it is happening and there is conversations around it and there's great people doing great work. Um, One example is the recent SB 62 bill in in California that um, is on the governor's desk or was just put on the governor's desk desk for approval. And that really addresses uh, fair wages in in manufacturing in California. And so that's really exciting because we're starting to see some shift there and at least conversation of it. And to me, that also represents the fact that uh, government and industry are starting to take the fashion industry more seriously. I think it's Mm -hmm. flown under the radar for a really long time because people think it's frivolous. People think it's meaningless, but it's not. It's a huge industry. It employs, I think, upward of 80 million people around the world. Most of them are women. Most of them are underpaid. And so mm-hmm. it's really important to, to shine a spotlight on uh, the inconsistencies and uh, the an- inadequacies that are happening around the world in our supply chain that makes clothing. Um, but also to do that in a fair way so that we can all move forward together as an industry rather than leaving people behind By people. I mean, customers who want clothes. Like I, it's still a fun industry, right? I, I joined fashion because yeah. I love clothes. I love making clothes. I love the idea of having something new, but it doesn't mean that you always make need to make something new with brand new raw materials. Right you know, there are alternatives and they can be equally, if not more exciting and innovative and uh, inspiring. So um, we just have to rethink the way we do business.
0: I love that. And you're like, you've got your hand in so many different things. So I'm trying to like, think about it from my audience perspective. How do you manage it all? What does a day in your life look like?
1: You know, it's funny, I I try not to think about it too much. I am a slave to my Google calendar. Um, And and (laughs) it is very specifically color coded, because if it wasn't for that, I would probably have no idea what I was doing at any given moment. Um, I try to block off tasks and jobs and roles that are like minded. So if I'm working, you know, if I'm uh, group I group calls together with factories and have similar conversations with different factories. Um, at another tomorrow, a majority of our of our supply chain is in Italy, so uh, that's also a very specific time of day um, because yeah. of time zones. Um, but the world is out now. You know, uh, I'm not going to say thanks to COVID because it's, you know nothing is is thanks to COVID. But mm-hmm. the world is now more connected and a little bit right. more. Um, comfortable with the idea of speaking via Zoom or, or other online platforms. Um, and so we can we can quickly, you know, back to back have many calls, whereas a few years ago I, w- I would have had to get on a plane uh, and go and, and have, which I hope to do one day, but perhaps not as much as, uh, as used to be necessary. Um, but to be honest with you, I see a lot of overlap with all of the work that I do. It's not like I'm doing very disparate, separate isolated jobs there's one feeds into the other so um, I'm also working with a membership organization called 11 radius that is focused specifically on education and ideating around circularity in the fashion industry circular solutions and working groups and pilot projects and and that definitely feeds into the consulting work that I do and the work at another tomorrow um, as does the research in new materials um, and, and material development so and I just love I love learning about it all. So it doesn't feel like work to me. It never really has. Um, but in the effort to, to find some work-life balance, um, it is important that I, they block off that calendar at some point during the day.
0: (laughs) I am so glad you shared that with me because (laughs) I, I get the question all the time is how do you manage it all? And what does that look like? And what does your day look like? So I'm glad that I was able to ask you that as well. And I think, you know, you've, what, As a woman, right, what have your experiences been as you've moved through the world of fashion and then into supply chain and sustainability? I mean, fashion is very female dominated, I would say. Supply chain is not. Sustainability is. So have you faced any challenges along the way being a woman in any of those respective industries?
1: Um, so it's, it's really interesting that you have the reflection because that's how I've always seen things as well. So a majority of the factory owners that I've worked with have always been men. Uh, although the factory that I was working with for my brand in New York was, was, were, were always women owned. Um, but, uh, there is there is definitely a large percentage of women who have been leading the charge of sustainability in the fashion space over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, And I would, I would push back and say it hasn't been difficult. I mean, you know, there's obviously issues around being a woman in the fashion industry that are inherent no matter what, but I, I would say that um, instead, it's been very inclusive and accepting. I I have a very, strong group of inspiring women um first in new york that i have have been able to lean on over my career and ask questions of and provide feedback and we will we we'll share resources um and so the networking there is just very inclusive and um and an open source which is definitely not inherent in the fashion industry you know when i was right. when i was uh learning and when i first started in fashion the 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 number one rule was always don't share your supply chain partners. Don't share your sourcing partners. Don't tell other brands where we're producing. You know, it's always very secretive and hidden. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it's the opposite. Now you see brands sharing their supply chain on their website because they want other companies to do it. Um, So...
0: I, yeah. I, I'm pointing to that because I always say collaboration is yes, the future yes, of business. Yes, exactly. Sorry, I didn't know. realize what
1: you were pointing to.
0: Yeah, I'm yeah. so happy to hear that that is actually happening. And, yes. you know, especially in an industry, like I said at the beginning, that's so competitive and it's just Honestly, awesome to see that. Was there one point in your journey through all of this that you can remember where you found your voice? Because that's another question that I get all the time from a lot of women, especially in supply chain, is how did you find your voice? uh,
1: I'm going to be totally honest with you here. This this one's a struggle for me. I, I think I'm still finding it.
0: I think that's an
1: ongoing struggle. Um, I'm sure some people would... Yeah, uh, journey, thank you, yes. Um, I think some people would probably argue with me and say, you know, I've been very vocal about my... (laughs) and and opinionated about about things for for the past decade, but um, I don't know necessarily that I felt... And when I say, you know, when I think about finding my voice, I think about finding an empowered voice that people are listening to. And I, I do think I've had... An audience and an ear for, for many years, but uh, I really do feel now that there is an audience that is willing to listen. It's not the, the choir that I'm used to, you know, because uh, you'd go to, to sustainable fashion events around the world, and it would be, like you said, primarily women. I'd say 95% of my classes at FIT. And this is not to dim- dismiss the men who are doing great work. There are, but it, it is a substantially, uh, you know, large group of women who are doing this work in my classes, uh, at the conferences that I would attend, and and so,
0: yeah, I think I think I'm just still finding it, um, and that's totally okay. Yeah, it is. And that's, you it's, know what? It's, it's Everything there. is a journey. It's not necessarily that destination. And I think. I'm still finding my voice. I mean, I do this all the time and I do this for a living Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm able to create spaces for conversation, but I'm also still finding my voice. And there are times where I feel great about what I've said. And then there are times where I just don't feel the greatest about what I said, or I could have done it better, or I could have done it differently. And so... I love the fact that you brought this up because I think we're all on a journey journey to find our voice. And I think that there's maybe a moment where you can reflect back on and say, yes, that was a day that I really felt that I had my voice. But then you can also reflect and be like, oh, that was a day where I didn't really have my voice. So you know, I love that you said that. Um, One question that I do have for you, what does the future hold for you? What is what is something that excites you and and that you're looking forward to in your future um, of your journey?
1: uh i think more transparency work with with another tomorrow specifically figuring out how we can connect the dots in in our supply chain and make it more uh more inclusive more um climate neutral or even climate beneficial that's really what we're working towards have the ear and the eye of the farmers that we're working with and the artisans um to really highlight and amplify their craft and their work um and, and really see how my my vision and I sometimes, you know, when I close my eyes and try to vision it is, is really that there is a lack of uh, dots being connected. And there is an industry of great people, stakeholders, individuals, companies doing really good work. But I don't see how they're connected to one another because they're operating sometimes very heads down, you know, justly so because they're, they're doing research or they're doing development or they're prototyping or they're in a lab. And so they don't have the ability to really reach out and, and connect to the people and and that's the role i've always seen myself play in the industry is this connector i love introducing people starting conversations putting them in a room even if it's a virtual room to to meet and greet and see where they overlap if at all and sometimes it doesn't work and you know sometimes I've, i've plunked two people together when they have nothing to talk about but very very frequently there is a great conversation to be had um I used to visualize some kind of tool that could could work to, to connect all these dots. Um, I just don't think I'm going to be the one to develop it. Maybe somebody else will. In the meantime, I'm just going to send the introductory emails and drag people to parties and, and events um, when those start happening again and make sure that they are in the same room together to talk. Because that's, you know, it's it's beyond collaboration. It's knowing who's doing Innovation. what and avoiding an overlap. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, avoiding inefficiencies and overlap and, and working together to, to really solve problems.
0: And creating innovation through conversation. Yeah. We need way more people like that. I do it too. I'm a, I'm a big connector and I love connecting people. And we definitely need people to do that. Like you said, it's bigger than collaboration. It goes into that innovation. And we're not going to create that innovation if we don't have those conversations and just sort of field those conversations and see where we go with them. So finally, my, I can't believe that we're coming to the end of this because I think you and I could talk for hours. It seems that way. But um, what advice do you have for you know women that, or even men, or even supply chain future supply chain leaders to follow in your footsteps? What what advice do you have?
1: Yeah, so I I mean the one piece of advice is not to be shy to ask questions. So all of the uh, interns that I've worked with and and junior staff and. Um, you know, anyone, anyone who's working in sustainability primarily, and I'll talk about, you know, just sustainability in the fashion space, because I'm not as familiar. It's been so long since I worked in, in conventional fashion, even though I, you know, touch on it with some clients is everyone is very, very open to sharing um, information, ideas, having a conversation. And you can only get there by asking questions and, and, and being vulnerable ultimately is what it is, is, is admitting when you don't know what you don't know and, and asking for mm-hmm. help. And I think, that has been a lesson that I've probably learned the hard way. I, I, I never was very well um, suited to, to asking for help, and I'm still learning. But I think that that's something that uh, is really important to be able to to learn and um, so that that's yeah. the advice that I can give.
0: I love it. Well, those are incredible words that I think we can all take on board. I really enjoyed that. You know, fashion is at a crucial point right now. And we can't continue to ignore the negative impact of fast, disposable fashion on the environment and community. And so it's inspiring to hear about the innovations happening and the people like Tara who are instrumental in driving that change. You know, it's an exciting time to be part of this fashion revolution because what Tara and her peers are doing now is truly shaping the fashion of the future and also the supply chains of the future. So thank you so much to the absolutely amazing Tara for joining me today on Woman in Supply Chain.
1: Thank you, Sarah. It's been wonderful speaking with you.
0: If you would like to hear more from us here at Let's Talk Supply Chain, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. So head over to letstalksupplychain.com to check out the latest. We also have a category filter. So if you have a supply chain challenge, we have most likely had that solution on our show. And you're going to want to go and listen to that episode to see if they are the right solution for what you are looking for. We also have a lot of great resources. Over on the Let's Talk Supply Chain YouTube page as well. And remember to come back next week when I'll be talking to Peter from QuickBase. We're gonna be talking about plug and play technology. What does that mean from you? for you. And cloud-based technology, their plug-and-play solution for supply chain is incredible and could definitely be the solution to the supply chain challenges that you are having right now. So remember to come back next week because that is what we are going to be talking about. If you enjoy our podcast, there's a few ways to support the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or even over on TikTok and Clubhouse. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive Supply Chain Dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And remember, if you want to be featured on an upcoming episode, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Rate us and review the show because we would love to hear from you. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.